All right, open your Bibles to 2 Kings chapter 8, 2 Kings chapter 8. The message this morning is about coincidence or sovereignty, coincidence or sovereignty. Just give you a little kind of background or highlight before we look into the verses this morning. But like I said, our study this morning deals with another story, another um, Story about Elisha and the Shunammite woman. Back in chapter 4, she had shown kindness to Elisha and his servant earlier in Elisha's ministry. She had provided room and board for Elisha. And in return for her kindness, he blessed her with a child as a reward for serving him. Then she received another reward when Elisha raised her child from the dead because between that, the time that she received the child, and what I'm sharing here, the child had died. He got sick and died, but Elisha raised him from the dead. And even though her kindness had already brought her rich rewards, you know, they still kept coming. Because God's rewards for showing kindness to his servants never run out. Here's the lesson. Take care of God's servants, and God will take care of you. Now, not many years have passed since we last saw the Shunammite woman in the Bible. But in those few years, a lot had changed in her life. We find her a widow now in our new story here of the Shunammite woman because her husband is no longer part of the scene. So now she has uh, all the responsibility for her household. You see, her life may have changed, but you know what? Her faith hasn't changed. It's still strong. And Elisha hasn't forgotten about the kindness that he gave her. And all of this is plain to see in our text, which ends with a wonderful and divinely ordered coincidence, if you want, you know, that's what I call it, a divinely ordered coincidence, that brought a lot of blessing to the Shunammite woman. Now in studying what happened this morning to the Shunammite woman in Elisha's life, we're going to consider many things in how the Lord guided this lady's life. And many of the things that we see in this particular woman regarding faith. Now in verses 1 through 6, Elisha was given a divine revelation about a famine that was coming to Israel. So he tells the Shunammite woman so that she could adequately prepare for the famine so she would be able to get through it. We read in uh, Psalm 25, 14, The secret of the Lord is with those who fear Him, that is, morally reverence Him, and he will show them his covenant. The word secret in that psalm means intimate conversation, plans, and purposes. It's what Jesus talked about in John 15, 15 when he said, No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all things that I heard from my father I have made known to you. It's what Abraham experienced in Genesis 18, 16, and 17. And the Lord said to Abraham, Shall I hide from Abraham what I'm doing? You see, as we walk according to the Lord, that is in obedience to the Lord and to His Word, we develop a close relationship with Him. And we understand Him and His ways better. Others didn't know about this famine. And it would catch them totally by surprise. But not Elisha and the Shunammite woman. You see what advantages there are in being in good terms with the Lord? Now, famine spoke of judgment. 
It was a judgment against Israel's sinful living. You see, a famine was not a normal weather cycle. It was abnormal and it was specific. And it was specifically called, uh, called for by God. We see other incidences of famines called for. We see it in Habakkuk 1.11. For I called for a drought on the land and the mountains, on the grain and the new wine and on the oil, on whatever the ground brings forth, on men and livestock and in all the labor of your hands. Psalm 105.16, we read, Moreover, he that is God called for a famine in the land. He destroyed all the provision of bread. Understand that famines were planned by God, famines ordered by God, and famines are controlled by God. And the reason I say this is because today we see droughts, we see floods, we see all kinds of things, and yet we call it acts of God. We call it coincidence, or we call it just, you know, these are acts of God. I believe with all of my heart because of the, it, because of the, the, the living of the United States, the sinful living. People don't want to look at it like that. Oh, why would God wipe out people? Why would, we see that God here you know, took away the provision of bread from the people. What happens if you don't have bread? You starve. We saw lands destroyed, the necessities destroyed. It was a part of God's judgment. And they became, and those judgments came upon a people here in our story because of their evil. Not because of some whim or fancy from an erratic behaving God. He has a purpose. This famine was twice as long, it was seven years, as the one in Elijah's day, which was three and a half years, according to James 5.17. That says something about the nature of God's chastisement. You see, when we don't respond well to God's chastening, He'll chasten us again, and again, and again, only each time harder than the one before. We see this truly, uh, clearly in Leviticus 26, 14 through 18. Let me read these verses to you. God says, But if you do not obey me and do not observe all these commandments, and if you despise my statutes, or if your soul abhors my judgments so that you do not perform all my commandments, but break my covenant, I also, notice, I also will do this to you. I will even appoint terror over you, Wasting disease and fever which shall consume the eyes and cause sorrow of heart and you shall sow your seed in vain for your enemies shall eat it. I will set my face against you and you shall be defeated by your enemies. It starts out here with God saying he's going to chastise his people if they don't obey him. Then he says in Leviticus 26, 18, he says, And after all this, that is after all his chastisement, if you do not obey me, then I will punish you seven times more for your sins. The phrase, I will punish you seven times more, is repeated four times in these warnings in Leviticus. It means a complete punishment, since the number seven is the Hebrew number meaning completeness. Each time of chastisement would be full and it would be complete with nothing lacking. And the next time would be even more severe than the one before. The lesson here is clear. We read in Hebrews 12.5, Do not despise the chasing of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by Him. The writer of Hebrews saw the trials of the Christian life as spiritual discipline that could help a believer become more mature. And instead of trying to escape difficulties of life, we should instead be trained by them so that we might grow in the Lord. We read also in, in uh, Proverbs three eleven through 12, My son, do not despise the chasing of the Lord, nor detest his correction. For whom the Lord loves, 
he corrects just as a father, the son in whom he delights. So when God takes you to the woodshed, don't complain. Don't pout. Remember when your parents used to say, you, why are you crying? You want something to cry about? I'll give you something to cry about. It's a good way to get another spanking when we go crying to the woodshed. And a spanking worse than the first one. The revelation of this coming famine, it, came, it also came with a command, with orders for this woman to obey. You see, it wasn't just to give the woman information, nor to satisfy her curiosity about the future. It was given to her to guide her life, to guide her actions. That's the whole purpose of the scriptures. God gives you the word of God to guide your actions. It's not information. It is for transformation. It is to change your life. He tells her in verse 1, he says, take your family and move to some other place. Those were her orders. We can always expect commands from God to come with with. Uh, revelation, because all divine revelation is given to us to instruct how we're to behave. This is a basic truth that must guide all of our study of the Word of God. Now, it's real popular today in churches and Bible studies uh, groups to study the Bible differently. In other words, facts and opinions and figures and interesting tidbits about the Bible are discussed. And, and, and they're made known in these kinds of studies. But you see, there's no practical application that's made when they're finished. And a lot, a lot of people like this kind of study. Because you see, when you leave out the practical application and there's no convicting truth about sin, you don't step on anybody's toes. You know, there's no conviction in one's life. There's, there's no pricking of the heart. Now, a person can stay comfortable in this kind of a study. You know, but, but it's not a real study. So God doesn't approve of a study like this. Divine revelation, that is the word of God, isn't given to us so we can sit down and admire it. Okay, the Bible, like I said, is not just to inform us, to just give us head knowledge. The Bible is given to us to obey and to apply it to our life. This was the case here with the Shunammite woman. It's the same in every other case. James tells us to be what? Doers of the word, not hearers only. He says, you're only deceiving yourself. To listen to it and to walk away with, with information or head knowledge, it doesn't do you any good unless you, you apply it. You see, Jesus put a premium on doing, not knowing and hearing. Elisha tells the woman to move. He says, to, to move before... Should I keep going and just... It's going to die right now. Okay. 
Now I've got to adjust myself a little bit here. All right. Um, all right. Where did I leave off? Um, all right. Elisha told the woman to move before he told her why she should move. The command came first, okay? The reason came later. And in her case, the reason followed quickly, but sometimes it doesn't. Now, this is where faith comes in. You see, do you have enough faith to trust God without giving Him, without having Him give us a reason? All right? We better have that kind of faith. That's the kind of faith that we need. If God says it, that's a reason, a reason enough to do it. Now, sometimes God graciously gives us a number of reasons for obeying him. But you see, whether or not we have a reason, we need to obey him anyway. We need to always obey him. I love what A.W. Tozer said about faith. He said, true faith rests upon the character of God and asks no further proof than the moral perfections of the one who cannot lie. It is enough that God said it. And if the statement should contradict every one of the five senses and all the conclusions of logic as well, still the believer continues to believe. Whether it goes against all sensibility, all of our logic, and everything says, how in the world? We are to still believe it. We're still to obey God. Don't be surprised if you know the orders before you know the reason for getting them. That's what happened with Abraham. Abraham was just told to move. And God says, I will show you where to go. But he didn't tell him why. Here in this case, the woman is told why. Understand that faith is tested for, for three reasons. To prove our faith is real, to help our faith to grow, and to bring glory to God. You see, it's simply a test of your faith. But rest assured that God has plenty of reasons why he tells you what he tells you. Just like here, to, again, to justify what he says. But again, we can't be so carnal that we insist on knowing why before we obey his word. There's a divine priority that's placed on the, on the command that's more important than the reason. And that's, we should always know in God's infinite wisdom and his omniscience, he has all the facts, he knows everything, therefore he gives us the word. So again, God's timing also is always perfect. God is never late. He's never early. He tells us what we need to know. Now, he tells us when we need to know it and if we need to know it. So the woman was told what she needed to do before the famine came so that she could adequately prepare for the famine. You see, it was a big help to her to be able to move before the famine came and before it affected her and her son. So knowing ahead of time, she'd have time to think and to choose where would be the right place to go. And it wouldn't be as dangerous traveling through the land. When we fail to do our duty, we can never blame God for not telling us our duty soon enough. If we're ignorant of our duty, when we need to know it, we can blame ourselves because we didn't listen to God when he told us what we were to do. The testimony of God's faithfulness, again, is in revealing our duty in time, is spoken by Jeremiah when he said in Jeremiah 25.4, And the Lord has sent to you all his servants, the prophets, rising early, notice, early and sending them, but you have not listened nor inclined your ear to hear. 
God had sent other prophets who had warned the people to turn from their evil ways. He'd sent them early to give them a head start warning. If the people would have listened to the the prophets' warnings, God would have graciously let them stay in the land and he wouldn't have done any harm to them. But unfortunately, the people didn't listen to God. They continued in their idolatry and they brought harm to themselves. They only invited harm upon themselves. You see, God sends us what we need to know early in plenty of time. But too often, we're like the Israelites. We don't respond in the right time. We don't respond to his timely messages. But the woman here, she did respond well to the revelation that was given to her. So now let's go ahead and begin in chapter 8, verses 1 through 6. Let's read verses 1 through 2. Then Elisha spoke to the woman whose whose son he had uh, restored to life, saying, Arise and go, you and your household, and stay wherever you can. For the Lord has called for a famine, and furthermore, it will come upon the land for seven years. So the woman arose and did according to the saying of of the man of God, and she went with her household and dwelt in the land of the Philistines seven years. Notice her obedience was, was, her obedience was right away. She was very responsive to the, to the special revelation given to Elisha, clearly shows her faith. And it shows us how, really, uh, how readily com, uh, committed she was to God's word. So the first consideration here is her response was quick. Our response to faith should be quick. Notice she didn't wait. She didn't ask God questions. She didn't hesitate. Uh, uh, you know, she, she could have, you know, she could have taken time and said, "Well, wait a minute, Lord. Uh, you know, is is this really from you? Are, are you for reals? You know." Uh, so again, she she didn't do this. She uh, she was quick to respond. Didn't wait. She didn't ask questions. God was quick in His revelation. She needed to be quick in obeying the word or the revelation wouldn't have done her much good. So for her to move quickly, as she did, that took a lot of faith. For her to respond as fast as she did, it took a lot of faith. Now, it wouldn't have taken nearly as much faith to move if the famine had already struck the land, you know, and it already affected her. Because, you know, you would say, well, you know, here's the famine, I I need to get out of here. But she left before the famine struck. She left before it began to affect her and her son. She's asked to move before the famine even comes. Like I said, she could have argued, Lord, are you sure? How many times have we asked God, are you sure about what you're wanting me to do? What about my house? What about all of my belongings, Lord? Aren't you taking this a little too serious? What if you're wrong? And the list goes on and on and on. The second consideration is the woman obeyed without question and complaining. There's no sign that she complained about this plot or this lot in her life that she was handed. And many times when something happens, we begin to question God. We begin to complain about, Lord, why, why did you give me this? She didn't complain about how hard this trial was going to be for her. Think of it. When you're living a life of faith you, and you don't complain, 
But then on the other hand, when we grumble in, in our life, in our lot in life, it's a sure thing that, that unbelief now is controlling us. Complainers don't respond well to commands. Not only that, they don't treat the messenger who gives the command very well either. They don't treat them very well. They can be disrespectful and they can be ungrateful. That's not the case here with the Shunammite woman. She responded to Elisha with good manners. Good behavior to the revelation from Elisha. The third consideration is that the command was inconvenient, no doubt. Faith many times is inconvenient. It's not always convenient to do what God asks us to do. It wasn't easy to obey this command. It would be very hard for her, uh, just for sentimental reasons alone. Think about it. She was being asked to leave her home. This is where her and her husband and her son had lived. This is where her friends were. This is where everything that was familiar to her was. It would be harder for her to move now, being that she was a widow, because, see, her husband wasn't with her. Her husband wasn't there, her husband wasn't there to take charge of the move. It would be expensive for her to move. Next consideration, sometimes being obedient to faith is costly. Her move of obedience was costly. You know, look at the cross. You'll see what it cost Jesus to be committed to the Father and to obey the Father. But again, obedience often comes with a high price tag. But you know what? It's always worth it. We might experience loss from the world's point of view by obeying God's commands. But you know what? Which would you prefer? Worldly gain or a conscience that's at peace with God? Which is the greater loss? A few bucks, again, or the loss of the Heavenly Father's smile upon us? The fourth consideration, her response to the command was wise. It is wise to be obedient to faith. Think about where she went. She went to the Philistines, land of the Philistines. Normally, going to the land of the Philistines speaks of backsliding. Because remember where David went to try to run away and get away from Saul and get some peace? He went to Gath, the very, very place where he killed the enemy, you know, Goliath. But in her case here, she got to choose where she went. So it wasn't, it wasn't the wrong decision in this, in this situation. God did not tell David to go. He ran to hide. The woman was told by, by Elisha here to live where she thought it would be the best. Now, God doesn't always have to tell us where to go when he's already given us the wisdom to make the choice. So she chooses a place where she would most likely be able to survive a famine. The land of the Philistines was always a land of plenty compared to the highlands of Palestine. She made a smart choice. It wasn't an easy move, but you see, it was a smart move. She also had a preference for making the move because, you see, it was the same place Isaac went to during a famine, but with God's approval. So, you see, if, if all of our moves showed the wisdom of God that he's given us and also supported by biblical examples, we make a lot better decisions. The fifth consideration, her response to, command, to the command was patient. Faith takes patience allowing God and waiting for God to do what he's planned to do. She was in the land of the Philistines seven years. Think of it, seven years. And she totally obeyed. 
She stayed there the complete seven years. She didn't obey just for a little while and then come home after two or three years. She didn't quit. She didn't consider, you know, I've been here long enough. I've had it. I'm done. I'm going. Many times that's what we do when, when God has us in a place of patient waiting. You see, she patiently obeyed the orders to stay in the land for seven years until it was over. That takes patience. It takes patience to obey the Lord. She was told to live somewhere somebody, somewhere else until the famine was over. Now, it may have been very tempting, and I'm sure it was, to go home before the seven years. You know, she, she could have said, you know what, I've been here long enough. She could have said, you know what, it, it seems like things are getting better here. And I don't think God would mind if, you know, I've been here a few years now, I stuck it out. I don't think he'd mind if I cut it short and, you know, went home now. It's usually hard to obey the Lord completely. But you know what, it's the only way to obey the Lord if we want to receive the full blessing Partial obedience is disobedience. Understand. Many people want the full blessing of God, but they don't want to give Him full obedience. But it doesn't work that way. If she was to come home from the land of the Philistines early, she would have been in trouble because God was working out everything so perfectly for her when she got back. Don't mess up God's timing by leaving His appointed place for you early. Understand, whatever you're going through right now, God is at work behind the scenes. And, and, and I know that from my own experience when, when my marriage fell apart. And for all practical purposes, I, I thought for sure we were going to divorce. And God began to deal with me because I began to come up with my own ways of remedying the situation. And I thought, okay, Lord, I have your biblical permission to my wife, you know, there was, a, there was an affair, and I felt like I had his permission to uh, go out and do my own thing. And God began to speak to me. And he began to say, hey, stay put. Do what I tell you. Let me work in your wife. See, I'm trying to work in my wife and get her to do what I wanted her to do. But make a long story short, I, I just I shut up and I waited, and God worked in my wife, and, and he restored the marriage. But again, it's because I stayed out of it. As hard as that was, and as much as I wanted to do my own thing, but, but if, I'd, if I'd have interfered, see, all that time God was working in her. Anything that I would have done would just been a setback. You see, it will ruin those wonderful divine coincidences that we learn about, that we're going to learn about right now. Look at verse 3. It came, to, it came to pass at the end of seven years that the woman returned from the land of the Philistines and she went to make an appeal to the king for her house and for her land. When the woman gets home, she finds out that some strangers have taken over her property and they wouldn't give it back. Can you imagine how upsetting it would be to come home after seven years and find your house invaded by strangers and all your belongings taken? I mean, what a big challenge that would have been to her faith. So you see, getting her property back was important. You know, she's going, man, I did exactly what God told me to do. I was obedient to the end. What happened? 
You know, we can begin to think, is this what I get for being obedient? Is this what happens when I believe God? You know, she could reason with herself that, you know, if this is the results of obeying God, then maybe it would have been better not to obey Him. What good did it do for me to obey the Lord, leave the land as I was told, only to come back and find all my stuff is gone and take everything that I have worked so hard for? Gone. What good did it do for me to obey the Lord and to leave the land to come back to find that I have lost everything? And you see, the, tra- the, the trial that she's now facing in coming home would be greater than the trial that she faced before she left home for seven years. And I think a lot of us would have sat down in this situation and would have had a big pity party and grumbled and complained a lot. But this woman didn't do that. Once again, she showed her great faith. She doesn't waste time complaining. She doesn't waste time in useless crying over her loss or or faithlessly criticizing God. What she does, notice, she immediately goes to see the king to ask him to get her belongings and her property back. And she had legal cause to do that. And it was right for her to do that, to go to the king. We don't have any business just sitting and complaining about the losses when we can get up and we can do something about them. One of the worst things that we can do during a difficult time is to sit and to complain because it doesn't solve our problem. It just adds to our problem. You see, pouting isn't the way of faith. It's not the way faith behaves, nor is it a way to solve our our problems. When the woman came to the king to ask the Lord for her land, it just so happened, I say that sarcastically, It just so happened that God was already working for her by ordering the circumstances that would help her. Look at verse 4. Then the king talked with Gehazi, the servant of the man of God, saying, tell me, please, all the great things Elisha has done. So at the very same time, she came to talk to the king. The king was talking with Gehazi, Elisha's servant. Elisha's servant was telling him about the miracles that Elisha had performed. And and notice, he asked Gehazi, please tell me, the the king asked Gehazi, please tell me all the great things that Elisha had done. So Gehazi told the king about the time that Elisha raised the the woman's son from the dead. It was a miracle that would really get the king's attention. Look at verse 5. Now it happened, as he was telling the king how he restored the dead to life, that there was the woman whose son he had restored to life, appealing to the king for her house and for her land. And Gehazi said, My lord, O king, this is the woman, and this is her son, whom Elisha restored to life. So again, just as he was telling this story to the king, in walks this woman and her son. What a coincidence. And she asks the king, hey, what about my house? What about my land? And Gehazi bursts out, king, look, my king, this is the woman and her son that I've been telling you about. What a coincidence. You see, the fact that Gehazi was standing there in front of the king as a witness to the Shunammite woman, who was the true owner of the land, 
made it easy for the king to give the land back to her. Now, years before, when her son had died, little did she know that one day that horrible experience, that bitter experience, would play an important part in preserving her property. Again, what a coincidence. What timing. What a stroke of good luck. That's what the world would call it. Or some other cheap name. But you see, God's people know better. It's what Paul said in Romans 8.28, God working all things together for good for those who love God and are called according to His purpose. You see, it was a miracle of divine providence. It was a divinely ordered coincidence by God. Obedience will find divine providence working for it. And this doesn't rule out trials that seem sometime to be God's providence, but yet they're working against us. God is always working for us. Coming in with her son, just as Gehazi was telling the, the, the story, served to verify Gehazi's story. And it served to uh, verify her request to get her land back. So it persuaded the king to give it back to her. You see, God was working things out really well for the woman all this time. This particular trial would encourage believers to not quickly distrust the Lord. But unfortunately, here, even this king, King Jehoram, even though he heard of Elisha's great miracles, his great works, it didn't help him to trust God more. Because you see, he had a very hard heart. He had heard about the miracle, but he only, it, was only, it only, only entertained him. It didn't edify him. And too many people today want to be entertained and not edified. Then we have the sixth consideration. Look at verse 6. And when the king asked the woman, she told him. So the king appointed a certain officer for her, saying, Restore all that was here, or all that was hers, and all the proceeds of the land. Notice, from the day that she left the land until now. God restored her land. But you know what? Her restoration was above and beyond what she expected. Not only did divine providence help the woman to cause the king to restore the land, but notice she was given more than her land. Notice what it says here in verse 6. She was given, notice, the value of any crops that had been harvested during her absence. All the money that was made on her land while she was gone was given to her. That's what God does for us when we wait in patience. What an abundant restoration God gave to this woman. It was definitely more than she had expected. We don't expect enough out of God. You know, we read in one of the Psalms that He is our expectation. If you have no expectation, you have no hope. Do you expect things from God? Do you expect the mighty works of God in your life? Ephesians 3.20, Now all glory to God who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power, notice, that works in us. You see, she probably wondered, man, am I ever going to get my property back? Will I ever, you know, she's coming back now and she's in worse condition than before. Not only did she get her property back, but again, she got all the profits that were made on her land while she was gone. Those prophets were the frosting on the cake. And that, those prophets, think of it, would be a big help to her to come back in the land and to start over again. 
to settle down and to get situated in Israel again. See, to add to this amazing restoration was the fact that it was all ordered by a man that we, we wouldn't really expect or, or, or that would be anxious to give her her land back, much less the profits from it for the past seven years. But you see, if God wants to, he can make the most unlikely people show kindness to his own people. He did it with the Egyptians. Remember when they left Egypt? In Exodus 12, 36, the Lord gave the people favor inside of the Egyptians. God told Moses what was going to happen. And Moses told it to the Pharaoh. But Pharaoh didn't believe it. However, God's word didn't fail. Not one word. And it never does. Just like he had told Moses, the firstborn in Egypt died. There was a cry in the land of Egypt. Pharaoh told his, told, Pharaoh told his officers, you know, tell the Israelites to leave. And the Egyptian people, we read, freely gave them of their wealth. You see, promises were fulfilled. Promises were fulfilled that night. Those promises that were made to Abraham centuries ago, long before. We read in 1 Kings 8.56, there has not failed one word of all of his good promise, which he promised through his servant Moses. He did it here by giving the woman, through a, through a divine command, or a great, and a great coincidence, favor with an ungodly king. So in closing, this story positively emphasizes the fact that it pays to serve God and only God. We never give up or lose anything for God without God paying us back sooner or later. Now, God is not a debtor to any man. God does not owe us anything. He doesn't borrow without paying back and with interest. But sometimes, when times are tough, it's hard for us to realize this truth about him the way we should. Peter showed the same problem that we all have had at times when he said to Jesus, See, we've left all and followed you, so what shall we have? In other words, Jesus, what shall we get for following you? I should get something. You see, Jesus detected in Peter a question, a possibility of wrong motives for serving him. Jesus is emphasizing here a right attitude in service. The lesson for Christ's disciples is obvious here. We shouldn't serve him because we expect to get something back. We should serve him for who he is, for what he's done for us. We can, you know, we could never pay him back. We deserve nothing. And what we do deserve, don't ask for it. Because <laughs> it won't be good. God is infinitely generous and gracious. And he will always give us more and better than we deserve. Then Jesus answered Peter's question that should encourage all of us this morning. Assuredly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake and the gospels who shall not receive a hundredfold now in this, land, in this time and in the age to come eternal life. You see, there are reward, rewards for following Jesus. Sometimes persecutions are a part of that. It's a part of serving the Lord Jesus Christ. But persecution, understand, is not all the results. And even though sometimes it may seem like it, it's not. The Shunammite woman may have had her faith tested. 
all right, in a land of the Philistines during those seven years. She really had her faith tested when she got home. And she found out that all of her, you know, all of her obedience seemed to just go right out the door. That her obedience cost her everything. She could have been very troubled. Very troubled. Because she had done exactly as the Lord had told her to do. And now, what had happened? She had lost everything. But understand, time is on the side of obedience. And Peter and the Shunammite woman and all the rest who have sacrificed to serve God will one day find out that the check is in the mail. And you know what? It can be surprisingly big. So understand, faith is quick to respond. Faith is sometimes inconvenient. Faith doesn't complain or question. Faith is wise. Faith is patience, and it results in above and beyond expectations.